let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, I know we sat here and went over prayer requests, and Lord, every one of these need a touch of your hand, God. And certainly, Catherine is a, is a pressing one, needs you to continue to, to heal a little girl, and Cadence is a pressing one, a, a young life that's dealt with cancer, but God, Miss, Miss Carol is certainly pressing, and, and all upon that family, God, and all that's there, and Lord, you know, to mention all the things, you know how hard it is on the family around them. And God, you know all the grace that's necessary, but you're the only one that can give it, Father. I pray grace on that family. I pray for peace and comfort beyond understanding, God. I pray they feel your presence in everything, God. And Lord, I, I know we bring prayer requests, but there's so many thank yous. There's so many healings, God, what you did for John on Monday, what you've done for Michelle, God, the, the way that, that you've reached in and healed so many that were sick, God, and touched so many lives. And Father, I just want to tell you, thank you for being so good, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Thank you that we can call out to you and that you care about what we pray about. It's amazing, God, that, that your heart is moved by our prayers. All we can say is thank you and tell you that we love you, God. I pray you'd help us to live that we love you each day that that people might see Christ in us. Lord, I pray you take this word tonight as we look at it. And Lord, look at your servant, how you took Saul of Tarsus and turned him into Paul the Apostle, God. And Lord, that same opportunity is true in all of us. Each one of us had our day as Saul. And I pray you'd help each one of us now to live our lives as a Paul, God. We love you, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we'll be in chapter 9. We'll continue on. We, for the most part, finished up. Do I have a clock up there? Or do I need to turn this one up up here? Okay, we got a clock. Well, I had to watch on. So, um, but, but tonight, going into chapter 9, we get to see the incredible conversion of Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. The, the first time, if you remember back in chapter 7, was the first time that we met Saul of Tarsus. Stephen had been arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus, and he's before the Sanhedrin. He's being questioned, but if you remember, he did everything he could to try to convince the Sanhedrin the error of their ways. He, he tried to convince them of who Jesus is and what it is that you've done, and to be honest, he was trying to get members of the Sanhedrin to accept Christ. He was trying to get them saved, but at the end of verse, uh, uh, verse 58, Acts chapter 7, it says, they cast him out of the city and stoned him, talking about Stephen. But it said that the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. If you remember when we were looking at that, we stopped just a minute to look at the significance of the fact that the Holy Spirit is telling a story. He's telling a story that started out about the new church, the Holy Spirit coming, preaching, other cities are being reached, the church is being added to. And, and then you have the problem comes in with the Grecians about, about their their. Um, their elders not being cared for, and then you have the appointing of the deacons, and then all of a sudden it goes into this one man, Stephen, and it begins to talk about Stephen and all that he's going through, and so it seems to be a pretty pointed story about the early days of the church, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, is like he stops everything, time out to include this man's name, Saul. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything by accident, so it had to be a reason that he stopped right there in chapter 7 just to put this man's name in place that they laid their clothes at the feet of this man. And then it came in chapter 8, opened up with verse number 1, said that Saul was consenting to his death. The Holy Spirit doesn't identify anybody else by name. He doesn't point out anybody else involved in this stoning. But he takes an opportunity in, in two chapters, the end of 7, beginning of 8, 
to mention this man, Saul. It goes on to say that time there was great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. If you remember, we looked at that at the stoning of Stephen. It's kind of like that kicked off the persecution against the church. It kicked off persecution against the Christians. But we also saw that it took the persecution to accomplish God's will. It took persecution of Christians in order for Christians to do what Jesus had said they would do. He said that you are to be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. But we see that everything that was going on was in Jerusalem. They hadn't gone out. So once Stephen was stoned, persecution began on the church. Then we saw the church scatter. Now people have gone into places everywhere trying to get away from the persecution. And a lot of the persecution is being led by this man named Saul. One of the places that a lot of the Christians fled to was this place called Damascus. Damascus was a walled city. It was a very important city all throughout history. It has the guard towers. It was a high um, had a defense wall system around it. It's considered possibly to even be the oldest city on earth. Uh, I've read a couple things. I don't know. You know, they trace back some dates and things to it. We certainly know it was back beyond the days of Abraham. We know it was around at least that long. We know that at one time it was the capital city of the Armean kingdom. Uh, we, we know that even in this day here with Saul that this is an important city under the Roman rule. So there's a large population. If you remember, we talked about Palestinian, native-born Jews, and then Grecian-born Jews. There's a large population of the Palestinian-born Jews living in Damascus. A lot of them have settled there, so there was already a great Jewish population. But then when the persecution of the church began, a lot of them, because they obviously had family there, they had other Jews there, so they moved to Damascus. So you have this growing population of, of Christian Jews there in Damascus. It's about 150 miles to the north of Jerusalem, so it's about a two-week travel by foot, the way they traveled. So you would figure 150 miles is kind of a safe distance if the persecution is going on in Jerusalem, and you've got family there, and there's a lot of Jews. You know what I mean? It seemed like it would be kind of a, a safe place to go, so there's been a large movement there, and Saul makes it his primary target. It says in chapter 9, starting our text tonight, verse number 1, says that Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So I, um, I'm not going to read all down through these. We'll just go through them as we get to them tonight. We met Saul at the murder of Stephen, and it seems like having seen other people, that not just the Sanhedrin, but Others in the city that gathered against Stephen and gathered in on the stoning of Stephen and the hatred and all the things that was there. It, it seems like it kind of fueled Saul's fire. It kind of let him see that, that there's others in that. And so it seems like he has maybe a new boldness going forward that he begins to persecute the church more. We know that Saul is a very educated man. We know that he was given the best education that was available in that time. We know that he's a very intellectual man. He's very skilled with words. He's able to talk and use his words fluently. We know that he is a very well-trained man in the ways of Judaism. He obviously is brought up in the synagogue. He's taught the ways of Judaism. He understands the law and the prophets very well. He understands the Old Testament law and the things of God. He has a great understanding. So he can't see Christianity as anything more than a threat to Judaism. When Saul looks at it, one of two things is obvious to Saul. 
Judaism has got to go or Christianity has got to go. Saul, looking at it through his eyes with his training and his education and his background, says these two cannot coexist. You, you either have the law, you either have what's been there, or, or, or you have Christianity. Either, either Judaism is right and, and Christianity is just an apostasy, which is what Saul of Tarsus thought, or Christianity is the new and Judaism, the Old Testament law, is becoming obsolete. And that's what Paul the apostle sees, but he clearly sees that the two of them can't coexist. He sees Christianity as a threat to what he believes in. So because of his training, he's concluded that Jesus Christ is a blasphemer. And those who follow Jesus Christ are nothing more than a cult. So he's got to get rid of them. Now, he, he has some good scripture to hang some things on. Now, obviously, if he looked at all the scripture, he would understand the promise of the Messiah to come. He would have understood about thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be least among the thousands. He would have understood that Jesus came to the place that was appointed. If they really look deep into the scriptures, they had the ability to see the fulfillments. Even at the cross, they already had Isaiah who had perfectly portrayed the cross, the crucifixion, everything going on. And he could see that Christ paid that price. But he also, you know how it is when you're, when you're trying to defend something, Saul wasn't the only one that only looks at the scripture you want to look at to please your case. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you deal with it with Jehovah's Witnesses all the time. You, you deal with it with people of false religions all the time. They pick and choose. You only find the verses. They, they have the verses that they want. They don't want to talk about any that they don't know about. They're trained in a sect of verses. If you get them out of that, they're all off their game. But if you just let them stay in their line, that, that's all they know. So all he has. But, but Saul has, Deuteronomy chapter 21, says that he that hanged on a tree is cursed. And Jesus was hanged on a tree, right? So he has everything in his mind. He has every reason to believe there's no way Jesus Christ could be what he claimed. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed, I'm sent here by God. If, if, you, if you knew the Father, you would know me. And, and if all those things were true, then there's no way that he could have been hanged on a tree because God said in the law and the prophets that anybody that hangs on a tree was cursed. The, the thing that made it impossible for, for Saul of, of Tarsus to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God hanging on a tree is the very thing that, that becomes the most impressing to him. When he wrote, after he became the Apostle Paul, he wrote his letter to the church at Philippi. He said in chapter 2, verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the, the, the thing that made him upset the most that he was hanged on a tree is the very thing that impressed him the most that God allowed him to take on that what God called a curse in order to do it for us. 
to, to take away our sins. So for, for Saul of Tarsus, because he's hung on a cross, that's evident, uh, evidence enough for Saul that, that Jesus is just a, a blasphemer. So those who are following Jesus must be done away with. In Saul's mind, Jesus is dead and in the grave. Jesus is dead and done. You got these stories going around, rumors, the apostles talking about that he's alive, but no, he's been crucified. The, the Sanhedrin took care of that. So in, in Saul of Tarsus, in his mind, Jesus is dead and buried. It's these few still hanging around that's got to be silenced. We've got to put a stop to all this. So it says that he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Now, that Greek word there for slaughter is the word phonos. It's pretty important if you take that particular word. If we look in the New Testament, we see it multiple times. That This is the only time that we see it translated as slaughter. The English word slaughter, we see it translated into, of course, all I use is the King James Version, but here in the King James Version, we find the word slaughter, the English word slaughter, four times. But, but none of them are this word phonos. The only other time that we see phonos, or all the other times that we see phonos, anywhere in the New Testament, the word is translated as murder, which means the Apostle Paul is breathing out threatenings. He's murdering Christians. He's not just worried about taking and beating them up, putting them in prison and all that. He is killing those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. And Saul understands the hierarchy. He wants to get rid of the Christians. He wants to take care of business by his own. But he also understands his place. He understands who he is. He understands that Caiaphas is the high priest and the 70 members of the Sanhedrin. They are the hierarchy. So he goes and he asks for permission. It says in verse 2 that he desired letters uh, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of in this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So since Caiaphas, the high priest, along with the Sanhedrin, used the Romans to do their dirty work against Jesus Christ, you can only know that they were more than happy to have a volunteer come in and do their dirty work against the followers of Jesus Christ. You know, they, they didn't want to do things themselves. They just want to make sure it got done. So they were more than happy to, to give the, the orders, to give these things in writing. So Damascus, because of this, this long-standing position, and as we just looked at with the great number of Christian Jews that have moved to there, it becomes Saul's first target. Now, being 150 miles away and being a two-week journey, it's pretty obvious to me that Saul isn't planning on bringing back many prisoners. Y'all with me? He, he has a permission to beat them up, imprison them, or murder them. But if he's going 150 miles away, and it's 150 miles back, it's two weeks travel, you'd have to feed them, take care of them, do everything, get them back. Pretty sure it ain't on his mind to bring many back, if any. Matter of fact, I would imagine it's going to boil down to one solid question. Denounce him or die, your choice, make it now. And they either had to reject Jesus at that moment or die at that moment. That, that would be my thought looking at it. That seems to be why I would head that far away. I mean, there's really nothing there because Jesus met him before he got there, right? So we don't really know what would have happened. It says in verse number 3 that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. 
The fact that he came near would lead us to believe that he's probably within seeing distance of Damascus. He's probably there. there there's some discussion about where he was in the narrow place in the rocks and things that where he might have been. But with the high-walled city that was there, it's pretty, uh, well, at least fairly significant to think that he's probably within seeing distance, at least, of the city. We know that, that Paul, later on, he gives his testimony. We'll look at it in chapter 2 and again in chapter 26. But we know that this event took place at high noon. The sun is straight up as bright as it's going to get, but yet there was a brighter light came from heaven. There was no mistaking about where it came from or what direction it came from. We know because of the writings of the New Testament that, that the Apostle Paul is going to be a great man for the glory of God. We know that the Apostle Paul is going to be a mighty man to be well used, but before he can become Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus has got to die. Old things has got to go away. It's no different than you and I. Before we could become new creatures in Christ, old things had to pass away. Before we could become what we are, who we were, had to die. I've, I've talked about it before. We all got the same story. But people I went to college with and people I knew back then, the Donald Yancey they know is dead. Praise God, he don't exist anymore. He, he's been dead for a lot of years now. He, he's no longer around. It's the same. Saul of Tarsus had, had to die right here. So we're, we're not dealing... With, the, with an Ethiopian man who is desiring to know more about God. So sending Philip to the road to Damascus, that's not going to work. We're, we're, not, we're not dealing with Cornelius here. We're not dealing with a Gentile who's praying in his house to know more about God. And God hears him and answers his prayer. And, and God sends Peter to Cornelius, this man that's looking to know more about God. We're not dealing with that kind of a man. So, so God couldn't send Peter here. We're dealing with a very harsh man, a very educated, a very strong-willed, a very, a, a very strong man, period. We're, we're dealing about somebody type A personality that is moving forward and somewhat taking things upon his shoulder. If nobody else will stamp out Christianity... I will. If nobody else will erase the name of Jesus Christ from the face of the planet, I will. We're talking about a man who has taken a large challenge upon himself and, and is going. So the Lord, the Lord doesn't send just anybody. Jesus goes himself. See, Saul's the kind of man that wasn't going to be won over in a debate of words. We saw that with Stephen. We, we looked for, what, three weeks at Stephen pleading his case to the Sanhedrin. Saul was present, obviously, because he's there for the stoning. Saul heard all that he had to say. I don't believe Saul ever forgot the face of Stephen. I don't believe Saul ever forgot that him looking up and saying, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. I don't, I don't believe Saul ever forgot any of that stuff. I believe the Holy Spirit probably haunted him with memories of Stephen's face at night. I believe he heard those words often, knowing, and he probably debated it some in the back of his mind, and it almost drove him to, to hate the fact even more so what we see here is that Jesus Christ himself said I'll take care of this one I'm, I'm not I'm not going to send Peter I'm not going to put any of my people in harm's way I, I'm going to stand in front of him and I'm going to let the light of my glory blind him there's not going to be any question about who he talked with when, when I get through with him. So we see that this light came down and shined from heaven. You know the amazing part? I was studying this and, and thinking, and sometimes, anybody ever studying? 
and you just kind of have a happy time. You just, you just kind of see some things, and they're just, they're, they're just a joy, man. They're just some happy times. You know, the, the same light that, that shines right here, the same light in this story, the same light that stopped the, the, the Apostle Paul but saw the Tarsus at the time, the same light that changed everything, that blinded him and created this man of God from, from this plan of the devil is the same light that lives in us. It's the same light that, that entered in to where I was back in January of 86. It's the same light that came to me. We have the same thing. The same light came into my life and drove darkness out of my life. Washed away all of my sins. Washed away all of my old. But Now, in Saul's case, so Jesus comes himself and it says that Saul, he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? See, that's while I was having my little happy time. I was thinking it wasn't just the light. It's the same light that came in me. It's the same light that washed away all my sin. But, but it's the same light right here that says, why are you persecuting me? Wait a minute. Saul is on his way to Damascus. To persecute Christians. Saul is on his way to Damascus to persecute what at this time calls those in the way. Later at Antioch, they're called Christians, but here they're called in the way. Saul is, or Saul is on his way to Damascus to persecute those who are followers of Jesus. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, Why are you persecuting Christians? He didn't say, why are you persecuting those that are in the way? Why are you persecuting those who follow me? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because that's how personal it is with God when somebody messes with his children. So, so Saul is saying, hey, listen, Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Can, can you imagine what Saul has to have thought right here to, to understand that putting his hands on them was the same thing as putting his hands on Christ himself? We, we see the bond that, that Jesus has between Jesus Christ and his church. Listen, you can mess with a lot of man's stuff, but leave his bride alone. There ought to be a couple men said amen. You can mess with a lot of, with a, with a lot of a man's stuff. You might steal one of his chickens, get some eggs, shoot one of his pigs, kick his dog, throw a rock at his horse, cut, his, cut a tire on his car, leave his bride alone. You can get away with a lot of stuff, but when you start messing with the bride, you done barked up the wrong tree. Any men know what I'm talking about? You don't mess with the bride of Jesus. He, he says, you're messing with my people. Why do you persecute me so Paul sees this this unbreakable bond between the head of the church and those of the church. He sees that to touch God's children is the same thing as to touch God's son, heirs with Jesus Christ of the body. Paul never forgot that. Paul saw the incredible love that Jesus has for the church. And I believe that's what drove the love that the Apostle Paul had for the church. The reason we have all of the Pauline letters to the churches is because he worked on founding the church because he loved the church. He loved the church because Jesus Christ loved 
the church. You and I ought to love the church. If you don't love the church, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody that you love the Lord of the church because he loves the church. I was reading something last week. It's going to come from the pulpit sooner or later. It was talking about people, in, especially in this day and time, we used to talk about casual Christianity a lot and how people could take or leave church. They'd show up and not show up. And then COVID comes along, and boy, it gave them the perfect excuse. So so many people have never come back to church. And I'm sorry, but it's become a crutch by now. It's just a crutch why people aren't coming. I, I, I'm not throwing stones at anybody, at least not on purpose. But you're either coming to church or you're not. But, but this one was talking about church. And, and what he said in a nutshell, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said, don't tell me how important the Lord is to you if you're not coming to church. Don't tell me how important the Lord is to you. The Lord loved the church so much that he died for it, and you don't even care enough to get up on Sunday morning and go to it. So don't talk about how much you love the Lord while you're casting away the church. So that's all free. I don't mean to get off into all that. But the Apostle Paul sees the Lord's love for the church, so he has a love for the church. Now, one of the things that we looked at before, and I really don't have any evidence either way to know the answer, so I'm just going to share a couple of views before I shared a little bit about, you have to wonder if Saul of Tarsus ever met Jesus. It doesn't say. It doesn't say he did. It doesn't say he didn't. But here's what we know. He lived in the same area where Jesus performed miracles. He lived in the same areas where Jesus walked. He lived in the same area where Jesus was crucified. He grew up in the synagogue. He was there daily. He grew up being taught by the Sanhedrin. That's where he learned all the laws, where he learned all the stuff. We know that Jesus was in the synagogue often. I mean, it seems highly unlikely that Saul could have never seen Jesus of Nazareth. But it seems even more unlikely that once he became the apostle Paul and began writing letters that he would have never mentioned having seen him. It seems like at some point he, he would have had to have said something. I mean, he's so intertwined with the religious leaders and being around the council. It just, I mean, it seems like he would have been at the crucifixion, right? I mean, to, to see what happens to those who come against Judaism. It just seems like there would have been a part. But, but yet, we, we see the name Jesus of Nazareth 81 times in the Old Testament. But not by the Apostle Paul. Paul refers to him as Jesus of Nazareth in his testimony when he's talking about things that Jesus said, talking about the things of Jesus. In chapter 22, I mentioned that, that, that what Jesus said to him, and again, we'll look at it later. He repeats what he said to him on the road to Damascus. Just looking ahead at chapter 26 of Acts, verse number 9, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's talking about his testimony. Paul's been arrested. He's been brought before King Agrippa, and he's sharing his testimony. You know, the one that thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. Man, it don't matter if you've got all in except for one last toenail. You're either all in or you're all out. You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. It's a shame that people get that close to heaven and spend an eternity in hell. But he, but he tells him, he says, which thing also I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in a prison, in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them all in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceeding mad against them. Saul hated these guys. 
I'm, I'm mad against them. If they say the name Jesus, there, there's a hatred in there. I, I'm exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even in the strange cities. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. You're at midday and a light comes on that's so bright that it blinds you. Shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me, and we were all fallen to the earth. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. To Paul the apostle, he's the Lord of heaven. He never mentions seeing him before. Now it seems circumstantial evidence would make me want to say that it seems like he would have seen Jesus. But in his writings, it makes me seem like he never did. And I'm wondering if there's a reason that maybe Jesus never let him see him. Because of the Apostle Paul, he doesn't see Jesus walking around in sandals and some clothes. When he sees Jesus, he sees a man clothed in light. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't remember a man who's spoke to him here on earth he remembers a man who spoke to him in a light from heaven he doesn't remember a man surrounded by 12 disciples he he remembers seeing a man surrounded by glory and all of its fullness and a, a light so bright that it exceeded the noonday sun he doesn't remember jesus seeing him as one who was crucified on calvary's cross he sees him as the resurrected lamb of god who came down and met him there on this road to damascus so saul with all of his education and all of his training and, and all of his authority, you got to think at this point in his life, he's on his way to Damascus and he's got orders from the high priest and he's fixing to get rid of some of these people. you got to think he's probably pretty full of himself right about now. Wouldn't you think so? I mean, you got to think he's at the highlight of who he is. I'm on the way to plead my case and I'm, I'm at the top of the game. He's probably at the height of himself. So one minute he's riding high. And the next minute, he's prostrate on the ground talking about, who are you? Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I didn't really do a lot of study. I'm going to go back, and if there's anything that the Lord wants me to share, I will. I want to go back and study this a little more for my own part. But he says, who art thou, Lord? I know it's a light from heaven. But it's amazing to me that in the first words out of his mouth, he calls him Lord. Right out of the gate, first thing he says, who art thou, Lord? I'm going to go back and study that a little bit more. If I find anything really good, I'll share it with you. Um, so, so Paul just realizes, he realizes that everyone he's beaten, when Jesus, when Jesus says persecutest me, he realized that everyone that he stoned, everyone that, that he's murdered, that everything he had done to these people, he had done so to the residents of heaven. He had done that to the children of God. He, the, the ones he's put his hands on, it's the same thing as if he had laid his hands on the Son of God himself. I would imagine right about now, Saul to become Paul is probably pretty devastated. I imagine right about now when you've been taught your whole life about God and you understand Saul is a very religious man. He's not doing this out of hatred or bitterness. He's doing, he thinks that what he's doing is for the glory of God. 
He is a very religious man in the sect of Judaism, of the law. What he's pushing is Old Testament law and prophet. He, he's not anti-God. He, he thinks he's doing this in defense of God. He's thinking he's doing this for the glory of God because he thinks he's defending the law. He thinks he's defending the Old Testament. Right about now, he realizes that the Old Testament really was fulfilled. The promised Messiah really has come. Jesus Christ really is the Lamb of God. He really is King of kings and Lord of lords. He really did come to pay a sin debt. I mean, all of this is coming about the Apostle Paul. I imagine he's pretty devastated about what he's done. I mean, think about, think about your own salvation. Think about the day when, when we got saved. We, we were drawn by the Holy Spirit on, on the day that that we were saved, weren't you pretty bad? Weren't you pretty sad about the way you were living? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody still awake in here? At, at the moment when the Holy Spirit met and we knew we needed to be saved and we, and we prayed to receive Christ, we asked the Lord to save our souls, weren't we pretty upset about our lifestyle? Wasn't there a lot of regret about the way we were living wasn't there a lot of junk we wanted to get out and get rid of? A lot of things we were ashamed of? That, that's where the Apostle Paul is. Here, here's, here's the beauty of all of it. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he's there and he's got these other men with him. The, the morning, anybody remember where you were when you got saved? A couple of you? There, there's no mistaking when we got saved. When the Holy Spirit washed away everything and all things changed, everything in us changed, there was probably 3,500, 3,600 people in the church that morning. New, New Hope was pretty well packed, and I think it seats 36, 3,800, something like that, big building, pretty well packed to the gills that morning. But nobody else mattered. It was between God and me. Everybody else was in there. The Holy Spirit was doing whatever he did, but no matter what else happened for anybody, it was all about God and me. There were a lot of other people there that day. There's some things that I believe with all my heart. There were some people in that building that day who came in that door as Christians. They came into church. They heard the same choir I heard. They heard the same message I heard. Ike Reichard preached the same way. And they walked out of the door going, man, Ike's losing it. I didn't get nothing out of that. I should have slept in this morning. I'd have been better off, went fishing, went and played golf this morning. There was people, I'm telling you, on the day I got saved, in a doubt in my mind, there was Christians sat in that church that morning and walked out and said, I didn't get nothing out of that. i tell you what else I believe. With that many people in the building, I'm not naive enough to believe out of 35, 3,600 people that I was the only one that walked in those doors on the way to hell. I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody but me walked in there saved, but I do believe this. There are some people who just like me walked in the doors of that church on their way to hell, and they walked out the same way they walked in, unscathed, untouched, but there was a light shone down where I was. It was personal between God and me. Yours is the same. Wherever you were, there may have been people around. There may have been other people, but it wasn't about any of them. The Holy Spirit paid a personal visit to you. 
the blood of Jesus Christ was offered a personal gift to you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Well, I don't forgot where I was now, but I was having a good time anyway. He trembling. Saul is sitting here, says he astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He, he's talking with Jesus. He sees this light from heaven. He, he's getting instructions, but Paul's not by himself. There's probably a pretty large crowd. It talked about the men that were with him, but based on his business, and where he's coming from, what he's going to do, he's, he's probably got a pretty good-sized crowd with him. He's got some soldiers with him. He's got some, some armed guards. He's got some friends. He's got some others from um, within his Judaism sect. They're, they're all there. They're all traveling together. He's on his way there to Damascus to do what he wants to do. A lot of people around him, but nobody else saw Jesus. Verse 7 the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Last week, I said that, that you're not sent to witness to everyone. And I, and I told you, so I'm, I'm very careful to say this because I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't want to give the wrong idea. You and I as children of God are responsible to live Christ in front of everyone. I'm going to have to say that one again. You and I, as children of God, are responsible to live Christ in front of everyone. You and I, as children of God, are responsible to live in a way that people can see Christ in us and Christ through us. And I talked with Brother Peter for a while after he talked about handing out tracts. I said, Brother Peter, handing out tracts is your ministry. It is your responsibility to put a track in the hand of every face you see. Everybody you walk by, that's your ministry. That's what you do. Put tracks in their hand. That is not leading everybody to the Lord. That's putting out seed. That's putting something there. The Holy Spirit will do with that track what he wants. Some people will throw it away. Other people will read it, and the Lord will begin to use it to do a work there. But, but you are to do whatever it is that God gives you a, as a ministry. You and I are to live our lives in a way that people see Christ in us. It doesn't matter what your ministry is. It doesn't matter what ministry you're in or what ministry you work in or what you do in the church. We are always to live in a way that people should see Christ in us. We ought to talk about Jesus always. We ought to talk about what he's done for us always. I mean, everything that hath breath ought to what? Praise ye the Lord. So if we got breath in our lungs, we ought to be praising the Lord that that's constant but we're not going to win everyone to Christ nor are we sent to everybody but we are sent to whom we are sent anybody understand that we have no idea what happened to all these other men they heard a voice we don't know if they got saved if they didn't we don't know if they got saved later if they didn't we don't know what happened to these other people they were in the same place that Saul of Tarsus was when he became the Apostle Paul, but we don't know what happened to him. I do know this. How many of you know that on the day that you got saved, all of your friends know something happened? 
They can't explain it any more than you could at the time. But this much I know, something happened. I can't talk to you about that anymore. I can't listen to that language anymore. I can't talk back to you with that kind of vocabulary anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. They didn't know exactly what happened, but one thing they could not deny, something happened, and we were changed immediately. There are people that I have no doubt that I knew back then that were friends of mine that they know on that day something happened, everything changed, and even though they saw it in me, they still try to deny that it's real. They're still lost and will possibly die and go to hell. They, they, they saw us change, did they not? They understand that it's there, but yet even our friends, even the ones who saw the change in us, we're, we haven't been able to go back to many of them and, and tell them about Jesus Christ. Everybody here heard the same voice. They stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Philip was sent down the road to the south towards Gaza for one man. Peter was sent to Cornelius' house for one man. Jesus Christ came here on the road to Damascus for one man. On the day that you and I were saved, whoever it is that led you to the Lord Jesus sent a Philip, a Peter, a somebody. Jesus sent somebody in your life, in your world, on that day for one person, and you're it. On the day that we were saved, it wasn't any different than the day when Jesus came for the Apostle Paul. Jesus cared so much that he sent a Philip down a road towards Gaza to meet you and I where we were that we might be saved. What if the person that God sent to you on that day hadn't shown up? What if the person that God sent to you had not shown up? Would you be saved today? I don't know. We may not be sent to everybody, but we're sent to somebody. And, and that's what I was trying to get across last week because I don't want you to feel beat up. If I, well, I don't witness to everybody. I don't witness to everybody. If you're not led by the Holy Spirit to witness, then live the life before them. Your life is going to say more than your mouth ever can or will. Your mouth can't do nothing but overload your backside and get you in trouble with stuff you can't carry. But if your life lived godly before them, your life can change people. Whether they say anything or not, they cannot deny what they see. But here's what I know. Is there anybody in here that you know God told you to call somebody? Go talk to somebody. Walk over and witness to somebody. Go to a gas pump and speak to somebody. Walk up at a cash register and speak to somebody. Witness to a friend. Call a family. Anybody in here know that God has ever told you to witness to somebody? When we did not witness, y'all ready? This is going to sting, so I hate to close on this. When we did not go do exactly what God said do, we were Jonah to a T. I told you that was going to sting. If it stung me, I'm going to share a little of the bee poison. 
Anytime God said, I want you to go there and do that, and you didn't, we're no different than Jonah getting on a boat going the wrong way. But here's the deal. Here's what I wonder. What if whoever led you to the Lord on the day you got saved, what if we were that person on that day when we did like Jonah and went the wrong way, who went in our place? We're not, we're, we're not to lead everybody to the Lord. We're not sent to everyone, but we are sent to whom we are sent. When God gives you something to do, don't let fear, don't let anxiety, don't let doubt, don't let lack of knowledge, don't let lack of self-confidence, don't let anything stop you from doing what God says go do. Because God has already got the Ethiopian prepared. God has already visited with Cornelius in the night. God has already got a light ready to shine from heaven to stop Saul of Tarsus. All you and I have to do is get to where he said go. And God can use you and I to do something great in somebody's life. God used somebody to reach us. The same way he used us to reach somebody. Well... I wish I had time to go a little further. They probably already threw down there racing the cars. They'll be young and running everywhere we don't go. We won't be having Wednesday night next week. It's spring break starting Friday. So everybody's out, kids is out, and out of school and that. So a lot of the leaders for all the children's programs will be out of town next week. Probably a lot of you maybe. I hope a lot of you get to, maybe you get to go somewhere and enjoy your time, but we won't be having services next Wednesday night, but we will be having church Sunday morning, amen? Uh, matter of fact, let's come and enjoy Sunday morning, come looking for something, because we don't have play practice Sunday because of spring break, and we don't have church Sunday night or next Wednesday night, so I got to get a belly full come Sunday morning. So I hope we all come prayed up and ready up. I need to get enough to carry me over. Y'all know how it is, man. When you go a week without going to church, it seems like a month and a half. So we'll come Sunday morning expecting something. Lord willing, in a couple weeks, um, we'll come back and pick up here with the Apostle Paul. Um, I don't know. I, I, hope, I hope the Lord gives you something. I just, all, all, I've, all I've looked at the last couple days, the thing that has stood out in my mind the absolute most I know it was like Riker, I know it was a church, I know he was preaching, I know he was in the pulpit. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter how. The only thing that I cannot get out of my mind is on the day I was saved, what if the person that was sent hadn't showed up? And I wonder how many times, in God's mind, I was sent to somebody and I didn't show up. We're going to see all that when we get to heaven. When our works are judged as by fire, precious stones, but then wood, hay, and stubble. We're going to see all those things. So they do matter. Thank God he's going to wipe away our tears. I, what's that Brian Free song? Thank God for the day I, I can't remember the things he forgot. I'm looking forward to the day that I can't remember the things he forgot. But we're going to see some of them first. So in the meantime, let's just... Let's just be careful to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When he sends us to speak to somebody, just speak to him. If he wasn't working on them, he wouldn't send us to them. God, thank you so much for sending somebody my way.
Thank you, God, that there was a Philip on my road to the south toward Gaza. There was somebody in my path. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your light shined right there in New Hope Baptist Church that day, that your light shined for me. God, I don't know who it was on anybody else, but I know every one of us in this place as children of God have a testimony of the day when the light shined right where we were. And that became all about you and I, God, and the Holy Spirit drew us. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for eternity, God. Thank you that we sit here as brothers and sisters in Christ, redeemed of the blood of the Lamb of God, that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we are the children of the living God. Thank you so much for loving us so much and for being so good. God, I ask you to help us to go out and be everything you'd have us to be, nothing more, nothing less. Help us to live in a place called the center of your perfect will. We love you, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.